You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hi there, this is Why I'll Never Make It, and I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, back again with another Tony Awards bonus episode. Today, we are looking at SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. Yes, it was a cartoon. It was a movie. And now it's a musical. And not just any musical, but a 12-time Tony Award-nominated musical. Along with Mean Girls, it is the most nominated show of the 2018 Tony Award season. Now, let's go through that list of nominations. Best Musical. Leading actor in a musical, Ethan Slater. Featured actor, Gavin Lee. Best Book of a Musical, Kyle Jarrow. Best Scenic Design, David Zinn. Best Costume Design, also David Zinn. Best Lighting Design, Kevin Adams. Best Sound Design, Walter Trebach and Mike Dobson. Best Direction, Tina Landau. Best Choreography, Christopher Catelli. Best Orchestrations, Tom Kitt. Now, it was also nominated for Best Score, and the reason why I've saved this for the end is because if you don't know much about SpongeBob, well, you probably know about SpongeBob, but with the musical itself, they have gone to the depths of the pop, rock, soul, R&B genres, and have pulled some of the best artists from each of those genres to write songs for the musical. So this is a rather lengthy list, but I think it's important that we give a shout out to each of these artists that have contributed to this Tony nominated for Best Original Score, Music and Lyrics. Here we go. Yolanda Adams, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry of Aerosmith, Sarah Bareilles, Jonathan Colton, Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, The Flaming Lips, Lady Antebellum. Cindy Lauper and Rob Hyman, John Legend, Panic at the Disco, Plain White Tees, They Might Be Giants, T.I., and finally, Domani and Lil C. That is quite a list. So basically, each of them, each of these groups are either individually or together as, as a team, like with Aerosmith. They came together and wrote individual songs that are performed throughout the musical. Now, one of the nominations, Best Orchestrations, Tom Kitt. Now, he's the man who put all of these songs together, orchestrating them so that these various groups, various different songs and genres could all come together seamlessly into one big epic musical. So you can definitely see why Tom Kitt was nominated for Best Orchestrations, putting it all together. Now, speaking of putting it all together, you've seen the cartoons, you've probably seen the movie, but what is this musical story all about? Well, let me tell you. The stakes are higher than ever before as SpongeBob and all the Bikini Bottom face the total annihilation of their undersea world. Chaos erupts, lives hang in the balance, and just when all hope seems lost, a most unexpected hero rises up and takes center stage. So there's a little little hint as to what this what this show is about. Now, the cartoon was first created by Steven Hillenburg, and that came out in 1999. Yeah, so almost 20 years ago, SpongeBob first hit the airwaves with Nickelodeon, and here we are 20 years later with a musical on Broadway. 
And I must say, it is quite an experience. I mean, you walk into the theater and it is all neon and all bright lights, and you know exactly where you are. You are underwater from the moment you step into the theater. I had the chance to sit down with my good friend Kelvin Moon Lowe, who plays Perch Perkins, the news anchorman for Bikini Bottom News in the show. And he and I talked about the production itself, the nominations, as well as he gives some insider information as to what went into making this show and how it differs from the cartoons and the movie that came before it. We are here with Kelvin. Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome from SpongeBob. (laughs) Oh, the land down under the sea. Right, right. So this this has been a journey for you for about how long now? I think it's almost been about a year and a half, two years for me. Oh, okay. So I joined the the company uh, in Chicago. So Mm. we did our out-of-town tryout, but it's been going for 10 years before me. Like, like the actual work on the music, on the show itself. I think from where uh, we had our first meeting, Tina Landau, our director, had said that she'd been working on it already by that point for 10 years. So maybe we're on wow. year 12. I'm not really sure of the wow. timeline. But it has, that's that seems to be a decade. It seems to be the gestation period of any new musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it has to start with an idea, although this one came from an already existing show. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I've, I read an interview with her that she wanted to really go in a different direction from, from the animated show. And then so that it wasn't just, you know, recreating that on stage. No. She wanted to make it something there, else. There is definitely, a, if, you, if you search the depths <laughs> of the internet, you can find that there was a SpongeBob stage show at some point. And it was, you know, what people imagined the show would be like. It was mascots, right? It's just mm-hmm. mascot costumes, big giant heads. People look just exactly like the cartoon. And uh, I th- 10 years ago, they, I'm sure that... Viacom and Nickelodeon had sent out some emails to a bunch of directors, some big, probably up-and-coming directors, established directors. By that time, Tina was a very established director, um, and asked them what their interest was in doing a SpongeBob musical. And a story that Tina had relayed was that she replied simply to that email, no. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, and then uh, I think they came back to her and said, well, we'd be interested in seeing why you're saying no or what you might do with the show. So Tina had told us many times before that she had put together a package, some avant-garde, crazy, you know, in the world of something that she usually directs. You know, Mm -hmm. she's, I saw a Check Me play of hers, which was completely bananas and bonkers. Yeah. But super theatrical in a way that she... And she wanted to pitch something that was completely anti-mascot, something super real. Right. Uh, and she was sure that they would say no. Well, apparently it's been 12 years of just yes after yes after yes after yes of this crazy brainchild of Tina's. And that's why we have SpongeBob musical that we have today. So so you've been with it a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. What have you seen it morph or change into over the time that you've been with it? You know, it? when I came onto the project, the music was there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot they had gotten all these amazing composers at the um composers that we all know, right? You know Cindy Lauper, everybody knows David Bowie, we know John Legend, we know Aerosmith. So that was already in place. Right. The design by David Zinn, he does the costumes and sets, has already been in place. The only thing that was kind of in flux was, you know, exactly 
how long these songs were going to be, or choreography that they had been working on. Even that had um, several workshops that before that I ever came into it. Um, we worked on the script, some of the books, and some of the some of the book scenes, some of the jokes were still being tinkered with, and all the way from Chicago to New York, we saw several versions of the book that, you know, they kind of looked like each other, but they were definitely fine tuned over and over and over again. The whole purpose of doing anything out of town is so that you can put it up on its feet for its very first time and kind of look at the whole picture. Right. Thankfully, we had a, a whole year in between the Chicago production and the Broadway production to allow the creative team to go back and look at the whole piece and say, okay, what really worked and what really didn't? And what could be better? And I think that they took that time and they saw it as a blessing and they went away and they really did their work and came back to it. And we're really happy that it's being well-received in the theatrical community. Yeah, what what what, what would you say is like the, the biggest change that they did that you love the most? It's like coming from Chicago, had that year off, and then when you came back to the to the project after they tinkered with it, what what was added that you were like, yes, this is what it needed? You know, there was this there was this problem in Chicago. Uh, we had this issue with establishing the stakes right off the bat, and so we reorganized a couple of the opening scenes. There's something about getting the the show off started right, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, uh, so many times I've talked to writers and composers before who've worked on musicals and they go, okay, once you've written the whole musical, once you've staged the whole thing, go back to the beginning, right? Go back to the beginning and, and see if, if that needs to change, right? And something about, they had reorganized the first three numbers, right? So Bikini Bottom Day opens the show, No Control is second now, and BFF is third. Well, that was all, Bikini Bottom Day still opened, of course, and but they had switched No Control and BFF because we realized that for the first 15 minutes, we hadn't established that there was a problem in the town. All right, You know, yeah. this isn't giving it away. You can read any synopsis of SpongeBob and you would know that, okay, a volcano is going to happen right. and, the and he has to save the day and figure out what to do about it, right? Your typical hero's journey. Right. Except for SpongeBob. Um... But we realized in Chicago, without doing uh, our kind of, uh, you know, the end is coming number sooner, we had 15 minutes of the show where we were just introducing characters that people loved, but there was no stakes. There was not, we hadn't gotten you, to, you hadn't gotten to the story No, we haven't yet. gotten to the story yet, right. which is like, let's go, yeah. you know? So now it's switched. It's, it's right. Um, opening number as well, you know, we've added two new cast members on stage. Now that we've... Now that we're situated at the Palace Theater, we knew what the space was going to be. We have added a lot of flying elements to the show, to the opening. The, the opening number has always been something. Uh, we did a little workshop between the show in Chicago and New York, and Tina was like, I want to make the opening of with Bikini Bottom Day just to be more spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really has to grab the audience. It has to grab the audience. Yeah. And so we, you walk into the show at first, and you see this giant wall made of sponges. We call it the sponge curtain. Now, now I, I will admit, yeah, yeah. walking into the show, I have never seen, nor still have yet to see, a single episode of SpongeBob. I've never wa I've seen, like, maybe a 30-second clip here and there, but never a whole episode. So Are you I, okay? Right. So I, come to it, <laughs> so I came to it completely... I mean, I was a SpongeBob virgin, basically. I knew nothing about it. So when I came in, yeah, you walk in and it's and it's all blue and psychedelic and mm -hmm. these pastel colors and bright neon, and yeah, yeah, you have taken over 
the yep. entire theater. We have. And, but still, the first, I would say, about four or five minutes, we do this kind of in one, in front of the curtain, mm-hmm. like just a proscenium kind of a, it's not a puppet show, it's kind of like a storybook, you know, just that, just kind of flipping open the first page of a storybook, right? But once that curtain goes up, you ha- the whole world has to explode on that stage. Yeah. And the work that David Zinn, the designer, and Tom Kitt did with reorchestrating some of the opening number, um, and Tina just recreating this opening moment to really be a full explosion of, hello, this, <laughs> this is what you're going to get a glimpse into. This right. is the kind of the magic in the world uh, that you're going to see for the next two plus hours. Um, and I, I think it's been super exciting to see how they have really gone, again, gone back to the beginning and taken a look at that very important moment yeah. to catch the audience's attention. And I think it's it's done wonders. I'm sure you can compare for yourself <laughs> via the YouTube bootlegs. Um, right. I don't well, recommend it, but... Well, well, well yeah. I mean, theater is always... It, it's a much different experience live. But yeah, you're right. Within that first four or five minutes, not not coming from the world of SpongeBob, it really set the groundwork for me. It's like, okay, this is now what I'm in for. Yeah. yeah. It's all about establishing a language. Um, you know, I, I think that if you really watch the show you will see a very strong point of view. It's something that is, it takes a long time, it takes 10 plus years to develop such a specific POV, uh, such a, to really define what that is over time. And I, I, there's not many more people that I can really trust more than Tina Landau to <laughs> obsess, obsess over this project. Every little detail. Every little detail. Yeah. Every little detail. She will walk around, you know, she probably doesn't want me telling this story. You can just, during tech, <laughs> you would just see her standing in the middle of the stage sometimes, just like looking at just one object and just staring at it. You know, between her and David Zinn would do this, you know, mm. and they would just stare at and just obsessed with the tiniest little detail that in my brain I'm thinking, not one person would even know that that thing was there. But they'll know. But they'll know. <laughs> yeah. And it's enough for them to make it right. And that is the level of detail and craft that I aspire to really kind of take on in the future of my work. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't think anybody slept in the last 10 years <laughs> while creating this. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, there's, there has been, not anymore. It's changed. It's changed thanks to award season. Not that awards mean anything. Not that they're any great arbiter of what is good and what is bad. It means a little something. Yeah, it means it, something. It helps. Of course. Yeah. But leading up to this point, you know, I'm such a sadist. I feel like I've been, <laughs> I've been reading the BroadwayWorld.com uh, chat boards to see what people think. And you know, for and for years, even the mention of SpongeBob the musicals, people have. You know, just that throw up emoji like comes up like Bleh. nobody wants nobody wants to see it. And I'll admit that it seemed odd to me. I, I wasn't quite throw up emoji, but I was more like the quizzical emoji. Like, sure. Wh- why? Hey, I get it. Yeah. Listen, I don't yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not one of those people who when I first got the audition go, huh? huh. OK. Well, oh, oh, yeah. Speaking of audition, whenever you went into audition, did you did you know the specific part, or did that kind of morph over time? Like that's that's uh, I think they called me in for a specific part. Yeah. By the time I came in, they knew they knew what they were looking 
at me for. They kind of knew the track. Yeah, they knew the track was going to be like. You know, but the same thing as I'm going in for the audition, I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be like. There's a lot of, there's been some doubt, you know, about how good this project, how good this musical could potentially be. Right. Right. And I, I think that, you know, as I, as I kind of, you know, got into the audition process, Tina explained the world very clearly. She's like, I don't, I don't want it to be cartoony. You know, I want, mm-hmm. it has to be real. The cartoony part will, the cartoon aspect of the show will happen naturally. Listen, you're going to be wearing bright colors and, you know, the music is fun and it's poppy. And you all, you know, all of us on that stage have to exist as one very real community in that world. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. Otherwise, you know, mascot, giant head costume or not, you're going to feel like that. So yeah. you need to, we need to develop a language in which we create the show that, you know, is, is theater forward. You know, it's, it's truth forward. She's got a lot of commentary in there. You know, a lot of political commentary that's like kind of interwoven into her script. That, but it's not, it doesn't hit you over the head as far as, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a left wing anything or I'm a right wing anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's right. just, it has to be, you kind of had to find a really honest story that is not unlike any other musical. Uh, I, somebody said, well, if somebody were to really look at SpongeBob, with just remove the title, right? And just looked at the aspects of it. If you knew that it wasn't connected to any property before that, you would realize that this is the musical that everybody's been wanting for so long. It's a thing that they want, they've been asking for. You know, they've been asking for something that's tuneful, you know, something that's funny, something that has big production numbers. It's, it's going back to a time when the, it's the same cyclical conversation that we've had in the musical theater for, right. for decades, right? Remember the concept musicals of, of Steven, Steven Sondheim versus Jerry Herman, right. right? Right. And so it's like, well, if you really look at SpongeBob musicals, it falls, not that I ever want to compare anything to Jerry Herman. Jerry Herman's a genius. Or Sondheim. Or Sondheim. Yeah. yeah. But it falls in the world of like, listen, just because it's happy, just because it's a pretty straightforward concept, Maybe it has a recognizable commercial entity behind it at some point. Yeah. But if you're looking for something really bright and fun and has production numbers and numbers that you can walk out humming out of the theater, it's super tuneful. Like that's what you got in SpongeBob. Right. You know, and yeah, I, yeah, because you don't really have to like beat over the head what SpongeBob is and and no. and, and, and play to what the cartoon was because the audience coming in already knows that they're already filling in those blanks. I was counting the other night. I was counting the other night how many jokes are specifically there as Easter eggs for the audience who know SpongeBob, you know? So there are six jokes that I think are funny, you know, but they're extra funny if you are a SpongeBob fan. It is from the, it's from the television program. And I counted Six. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Six. The rest of it is, oh, I recognize that character. Oh, I recognize, you know, th- these are, that's, that is some of the things that are funny. And people are like, that's so SpongeBob. I was like, no. We did work in the rehearsal room with professional mimes. Yeah. You, you know, we had a professional clown who came in and worked on some of this stuff. And so it is, that to me is Lotzi. You know what I mean? That's, that has been part of the theater 
for hundreds of years. But 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 it almost says something about SpongeBob that you because you still have to stay within the world. So the jokes, even though they would be a regular joke in another musical, they become a SpongeBob joke. They, and so it, I think it shows that you've really inhabited and really taken on the characters. If if you can take a normal joke that would be out there and make it a SpongeBob joke, of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's no it's no different than any other construction of a musical. It's it's also funny to me. I did uh, we did the Easter Bonnet a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's right? right. And so I ended up writing the sketch and I ended up directing the sketch and it was uh, this this producer and this writing team start off the sketch. And this writing team comes in, they were pitching the show, they're like, it's tuneful, it's funny, and the producer's like, it's based on a cartoon, no, it'll never work, I never want to do it, it's terrible. Anytime I see, the next time I, if I ever see um, a cartoon be on a Broadway stage, I'll eat my hat, it ends up being Annie. We end up doing a full number from Annie, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the point of that being is that for a commercial property or a cartoon or anything, you, it's been done before. Mm-hmm. It's been done before on Broadway, before Disney had taken over Broadway, which is, I think that Disney has done great work. You know, and they yeah. ha- and have really changed, they have really lifted the game of what is possible on Broadway. Yeah, because yeah, I think for the most part, they've, they've, thought, they've thought well into which which of their properties is best oh, suited yeah. for, for the stage. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, they, they've had a couple of misses, but I think overall they've, they've yeah. hit it on the head. I've, I was blown away by Beauty and the Beast. Nobody, mm-hmm. can, nobody now can argue that The Lion King is a fe- musical theater masterpiece. Right, right. You know? I mean, it was a game changer when of it course, came out. It's a huge yeah. game changer. And it's just a matter of, of that's okay. It's, uh, but yet there are... You know, I don't want to feel like this whole thing is defending SpongeBob the Musical. Oh no, 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 SpongeBob the Musical. At this point, everybody loves it. Anybody who gets anybody who comes to comes to see the show becomes a convert. Yeah, immediately they're like, "We love it." Yeah, yeah, because I because I went in with kind of no expectations. I didn't I didn't know what I was going to get, and I walked away. I was like, "All right, they did it." I I I didn't know what they were going to do, but they did it. Sure. Yeah. And so you have to, it's a kind of a give it a chance moment. Yeah. And uh, I think that audiences are super, super excited. I kind of love watching the audience. There are a few moments we have a lot of, in, of course, in the clown world and also in the SpongeBob world, our villain can freeze time and suddenly we have to freeze. And uh, sometimes I catch myself just freezing and staring at the audience and you just see these kids, you know, that are in the audience and they look like they're about to explode mm. with joy. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's something that, you know, I've done some, I've done classics in my time. I've done some, a lot of dark pieces in my yeah. time. And, you know, I don't remember the last time I was, I had <laughs> really been such a part of a joyous production. And, uh, you see, but also, you know, tender little moments, tender little moments you can catch from the audience there are there is there are a few recognizable tunes that are from the cartoon that's been repurposed for the musical. Okay. Um, and when they come up, you kind of I've caught moments when I look in the audience and I see, oh my gosh, that woman is a mother, you know, 40, 50 years old and you know with their now grown adult child cuz remember SpongeBob has been around for 19 yeah, years. It's been around a long time. Nearly two decades. Yeah. 19 years. So some of these songs are it's about the mo- the sweetest most optimistic sponge ever. So it's those songs 
have kind of gotten themselves into the pop culture zeitgeist in a way that, you know, you can see a very loving maternal relationship that has been built on one of these songs. It's called Best Day Ever. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. Where sometimes you'll just hear it and taught and the entire audience, usually in the mezzanine section, just spontaneously starts singing along. <laughs> There's nothing there that says sing along, but it just can't help it. You no, know? no, no. When I, when I was in the audience, there, there were people singing. Did that singing. happen? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It happens every other night. Yeah. And it's totally okay. In fact, it's quite sweet. Um, you know, and there's other little things that happen in the audience. You know, we're, we're running away from the volcano a lot of times, or mm -hmm. Squidward's a very popular one played by Gavin Lee, Tony Ward nominated, you know, for yeah, his... Yeah, yeah, his, his dance that he does, that's in the second act, right? Second act. Yeah. Tap dancing yeah. on four legs. It's moments like that where sometimes you'll just hear, like, the tiniest little voice. Yeah. No, it's not, it's just a high-pitched voice. It's not quite tiny because they'll yell it right at the stage and they'll be like, Squidward, no! <laughs> and it's, they're, they're fully invested in the characters. They're now, fully... Now, now, one thing that I wanted to ask that, that was specific to, to the storytelling is that the conductor, she was very integral to the story oh, and, and, and added things that things were being thrown down at her. She was throwing things back up. Julie McBride is her own, is the unsung hero yes. uh, of our production. You know, there's two. There's two people that I find which are incredible. One is Julie McBride, who is conducting the show. She's mm -hmm. full of life and energy. She has a full costume. She's dyed her hair blue at this point. <laughs> That's my choice. She wanted it. Right. But, she, yeah, she's completely invested in, in the story in a way that I haven't seen another conductor in a long time. We saw, okay, Andy Einhorn... He conducts over at Hello Dolly. Uh -huh. I saw him toss a giant baton off the Bette Midler, you know? And so <laughs> that's one thing, you know? Yeah. But just imagine that times like 20 for Julie. Yeah, like, yeah, because there, there's some time where she has props. She has to, she has like a storybook that she opens and does things with that. She's got props. She's got yeah. storybooks. She's playing an accordion. She's playing the piano. She's conducting a huge orchestra. Yeah. She, at the beginning of the show, she's playing this crazy kazoo, which is... Amazing as a little kind of like a tiki band pre-show. She's super, you know, but that's one of those things where I'm like, that's cool. Because guess what? A musical doesn't really work without every single person kind of being in harmony with each other. Absolutely. And if you talk about anybody who's more in charge of the music department ever, is the music director, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. and she kind of controls the whole thing. So for her to be part of the story as well, all along the way is... Is incredible. Yeah, because music directors, I, I know in my own experience, I've had those that they conduct very well, but they, they do their job, and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a fine standard production. But then you have those that are dancing, that are bebopping, that like, they're almost like just pulling the songs out of you, and they're like bringing the instruments, and then it's like a party every right. time that they are up there to oh, conduct, yeah. and that can change the whole mood of people on stage. You know, I, it goes back for me... You know, Julie McBride is is phenomenal, but I, you know, you kind of remember those music directors, mm -hmm. those conductors, right? Because I'll never forget watching uh, The Light in the Piazza up at Lincoln Center, and you can see this on some kind of archive video too, but Kim Grigsby as another music conductor, oh my gosh, you ever watch her conduct anything? It's, it's her own musical. It's glorious. Hmm. You realize, yeah, that orchestra is playing as beautiful as possible because... Uh, it, it's she's dancing with the music. Right. You know, that makes me, 
I mean, and so many conductors are doing that. If you, yes, you want to focus up there, but you know, when I used to go see Broadway shows as a kid, the first thing I would do during an ending intermission, my seat was never close enough to the orchestra. <laughs> Uh, was I used to run up to the pit and look down, and I go and I look down yeah, and you see, what see the who's world there. is and right. see th- and realize, you know, I love this the sound of hearing, of uh, hearing the instruments, the the musicians tune before mm-hmm. uh, Broadway show. Like that to me always is is so iconic of of my Broadway experience. And then, you know, it's we're at a very we're at a very fortunate time at the beginning of a very successful musical that you, the energy is super high and it still bubbles yeah. in me you know to to hear to hear the show start you know and to look down at her and realize oh my gosh i'm standing on the other side of this i'm not i'm no longer right. staring at the back of a conductor's head anymore. Now I get to look at her every single day. It's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so what would you say is is your favorite part? Once you were cast, once you started into rehearsals, what started to connect with you, and what really just resonates? Like every night, I can't wait to do this. You know, it's it sounds um, it sounds a little like a canned answer. That's okay, uh, but it's not. <laughs> it really isn't, and I'll tell you why. Uh, my canned answer is my favorite part of doing the show is my cast members that could share the stage with. Mm. They're amazing. Yeah. They are incredible. They are freaks of nature. The things that they're able to do. Um, I sometimes feel completely unworthy to be around them because they couldn't be funnier. Yeah. Cause your lead, Ethan, I don't know how he can do that for two hours. I have no He's, idea. He, he is a ball of bundle of just bubbly yeah. energy. Yeah. Just, it's just non- hanging non-stop. upside down. Yeah. Belting high C's. Yeah. No big deal. You know, the ensemble members, we have like 15 costumes each and we're changing all the time <laughs> and people are dancing their faces off and we're singing nonstop. The other principles are, you know, go back to Gavin, dancing just four legs. Yeah. Just inhuman. Just really not human at all, right. you know? Uh, and the, But the thing is, the why I can say this is because I believe that everything and any success is always cultivated from the top. And that's how it trickles down, right? And I will say that before we started rehearsals, you know, the, Tina Landau is, you would know that her technique is viewpoints, right? She works with viewpoints all the time. She's worked with And Amber for those Hart. of you who don't know, explain that just a little bit. Viewpoints, uh, oh, good, good. This is my <laughs> quiz right here, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, viewpoints is it's an acting technique. It's a way to open up your perspective and how you see the world, and you look at spatial relationship, you look at how fast your body moves. It's, it's, it's a technique which I highly recommend that you read more about, um, in which you just get a better understanding of how your body is moving yeah. in relationship to other people, in relationship to yourself, in relationship to your environment, and how that in, in turn informs the story. Which, right? which I think is so important for SpongeBob, because oh, it's so more important. than just the words and the music. It's about right. a whole body experience and interacting with other bodies to create. Especially because, you know, we're playing aquatic animals you know and 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 we're not wearing fish costumes and we're not there's we're not painting scales on yourself so you kind of have to figure out a way in which you move in this world you know we don't we're not underwater we're not in a giant you know fish tank ourselves so you kind of have to understand how that works but because she works in this world in which we have to gain a little bit more perspective you know gain a little bit more awareness of 
what we're doing and how we've created this world, you start to become a little bit more in tuned with your cast members in a way that maybe not necessarily true in every other rehearsal process. Um, when we started our day with Tina, she would sit us in a circle. And, you know, we all know that when you create a Broadway show, every minute costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Every minute, yeah. every second mm-hmm. costs thousands of dollars because everyone is on the clock and everybody's looking to you to create this piece of theater uh, that is supposed to make mo- it's supposed to make art, but also supposed to make money. It's show business, yeah. right? But she would sit us down at the beginning of every rehearsal and simply go, okay, around the circle. How's everyone feeling? Hmm. What? When does that happen? You have a huge company. And it wouldn't be just the cast. She would sit the stage managers down. And if you were an intern in the room that day, I think the delivery guy, the FedEx guy <laughs> sat down with us one time. But it wow. is about that. Yeah. It is when you're creating theater, it is about people. You know, and it's about community. I constantly say this whenever I'm teaching any of my classes where I go, theater is is the is by far to me the most special art form right if you're a painter you can get your paints you can get your easel you can get your canvas up and you can paint a whole painting and then suddenly it's done and you and yourself and your paintbrushes have created it one human being have has you have created your piece of art and you can put it on the wall you can put it in a museum you can do whatever you want with it theater as an art form is not that it is 100% a collaborative art form mm-hmm. it really doesn't work without a single other human being. If you're doing theater by yourself, all by yourself, you're singing in the bathroom by yourself. <laughs> you're singing into a void and into a vacuum. There's nothing happening. The theater is meant to connect yourself with other individuals. So just the simple act of sitting in one room and sitting in a circle with grown adults mm-hmm. and saying, hi, look at me, look at you. How are you feeling today? Where are you in process of putting the show together? And knowing that that valuable minute can turn into an hour, can turn into two hours, can subsequently end up being hundreds of hours of just saying, hi, how are you? And all of those hundreds of hours equaling hundreds of thousands of dollars of mm-hmm. time, you, you realize that, oh my gosh, there is a greater purpose for this. There is a greater purpose of why we're doing this. And it does lend itself to, to creating the, the world that we have created a Bikini Bottom and SpongeBob. Yeah. It's about community. I think it's, I think it's so strong that which, the show which, is about community. Which is the same, as you said, in show, in business, and I think in whatever field, yeah. the, the community that you surround yourself with, it's, it's only as good as, as each individual person. Oh, yeah. And once that... Once those people come together as a group, that's what that's what can make magic or can make a tragedy. You know, because I've I've been on both sides of, of that, course. where a cast can really make or break a show. Yeah, both on stage as well as backstage. We you walk onto that stage, and you know I've I've brought a lot of friends on the stage after the show, and they look around and they see what's created, even with the lights off. You know, <laughs> even with no projections, no lights, it's just the blue stage, and but you see the, the shimmery mylar, you know, hanging. And they look around, they go, it's like a playground. And I go, it is. It absolutely is a playground. 
It is a playground where it, it takes you and your imagination to have created this world. It took one person's imagination to begin the seed of that. But she's allowed everyone else who stepped on that stage to this point to treat it like a playground, yeah. to enjoy themselves. That's what makes... Uh, when I... Ca- uh, listen, I've been to... I've, you and I have done plenty of theater shows at this point, right? Yeah. And there have been plenty of shows that you show up right at half hour, <laughs> and that curtain comes down, and you're out of costume, and you're like, bye. Yeah. I find myself at the theater so early all the time um, just because I enjoy being there around... With, I enjoy the environment. I think they've built a world in which we really enjoy seeing each other. Yeah. When you start to realize that work feels more like play, you know, and you're like, oh, God, I have to go home and do laundry. That's work. Yeah, right. That's work. Oh, but going to work? Oh, that's, <laughs> I can't wait. You know, get me there earlier. You know, get me out of the house sooner so I can not focus on the work at home, but go to playtime, right. which is at SpongeBob the Musical. And I think that that energy is really real. I'm not selling that to you because we're on a podcast. Or no, 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 no. Having seen the show, I can vouch that energy comes off the stage. It's like we're goofs. It's, Absolutely. It's also, you know, this this gets to you at some point because you just go, wow, I, I think I'm in a cast where every single person won class clown, you know, and yeah. it, it, as a superlative. They're all the class clown of their high school or anything in life. And you just go, just sitting around laughing all the time. Everyone's the funniest person you've ever met. Um, and they think so, too. <laughs> um, no, but they're, they're sweet. And it's, it's because of that we, we're having a really good time. And, and the importance of that all, you know, any of the business things. You know, business, show business will always try to creep into your brain. And, yeah and what's happening in award season and this and that will yeah, creep. Well, yeah, which know. was my next question. Like, like how, how has this award, and being nominated for 12, how has that changed the show, if at all, or changed any of you? Yeah, the morale's always been high. <laughs> and now it's like morale validated, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. It's great. And nobody's going to tell you that you're getting 12 Tony nominations. We're the most nominated new musical of the season, you yeah. know, across the board, and the drama desk, the... And there's tons of other awards that we've been doing really well at. The Best Ensemble for Cheetah Rivera Awards. Nice. Yeah, we got to go to a nice little yeah. reception. But that was a lot of fun. Um, but it, I say that if you have to believe in the awards, the same thing with with um, reviews, right? Good and bad reviews. If you believe the good reviews, you have to believe the bad ones too. And if you believe that the awards mean everything, you have to believe that you know not winning awards is, means everything. That being said... We're really happy. We're super excited that we've been nominated. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, I, it's it feels really great to the thing that we have known is great and wonderful and all the work that we put onto. It's really nice to be recognized. You know, and uh, I remember getting up. I've done this for many, many, many years. Okay. Not even when I'm in, not in the production. I get up and I watch on New York New York One every single year the Tony nominations, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sitting there, and it's eight forty five in the morning, and you just like wipe the crust from your eyes, right. and you have the sheets, and you turn on, and you're sitting in the dark watching the TV, and you pray on those mornings that you 
the people that you're rooting for, you hear their names, yeah. you know, and to hear them over and over and over again. I mean, I couldn't go back to bed. Usually I can go, okay, great. Everything expected. Good night. Okay, bye. You know, but I, I tried not to set myself up for any kind of disappointment. Um, and then to wake up and realize, oh, well, we, we got the most nominations that we could have. Uh, so great. Cool. I'm up. Let's, yeah. let's start the day. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been super joyous. I'm super excited. I'm rooting for Ethan. I'm rooting for Gavin. I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for everybody on our team, especially, you know, it's funny. The other person I was telling you besides Julie McBride, uh, our music director is no other, not that I know of, no other sound designer is nominated for a Tony Award that also performs in the show eight shows a week. Mike Dobson, he is nominated for a Tony Award. He's in our show, and he's our Foley artist. If you don't know what a Foley artist is, he creates all the sound effects. Oh, 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 that's right. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So, the, so the person running the sound he's is the running. one also creating all those. Now, 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 if you haven't seen the show, I mean, you you should have by now. You should have. But if you haven't, yeah, yeah, the sound effects. There are there are flicks of a wrist. There are kicks. There are all these different kind of motions that the actors do, as well as props that come. All of these things make a sound mm-hmm. that that's, that this Foley artist is creating right. on the fly. Yeah, and every, so every it is, step it's amazing. That, every step that SpongeBob takes. Yeah, you know, in the cartoon, it's part of in the cartoon. It's part of the language, and without it, they realized that there was something missing. You know, there was something missing there, and so this Foley artist, his name is Mike Dobson. He's worked with the circus he's worked on television shows and movies and creating sound effects he performs live every night live every night it's not he's not hitting just random buttons he's making these sounds like the same way you've seen anybody make sound effects in a movie studio he's making them live and he's part of the sound design in a way that he's also being nominated i uh yeah, I mean, he, he's basically, I mean, even though we hear everything, he's an offstage performer, oh, but yeah. you hear and, and are a part of everything that he does. Yeah. Mo- moment to moment. Every, yeah. every single thing. He's got so many monitors around his station. Okay. And you can see him. You know, you can see him and just watch. You look around and you go, okay, so there's a trash can lid, there's a rubber duck, there's sliding whistles, there's a whole percussion station of everything. There's a pizza, bass drum... Just like crinkly bags, like all, just like anything that wow. makes sound, wow. yeah. you know. And he has it programmed in a way, and he's also dancing the entire show. Oh, because he's, he's, he's he has yeah, to. He's he has moving. To, he has yeah. to dance with the music, and it's it's incredible to watch him. So I I you know I love all the sound designers that have been nominated. I've worked with a bunch of them before, but I don't I don't think I've seen any of them quite. No, yeah, no, have to perform the same way that Mike has to every night, and I I really hope. You know, I'll be cheering for him the most. I'll be cheering, mm-hmm. but I'll be cheering for the whole team. You know, we're we're super excited. We're super excited what the Tony Awards may be. It's it's the ultimate recognition from the theatrical community, which is you know kind of going back, is saying that was the thing that I was most nervous about. Yeah. I was most nervous that that not that SpongeBob would be overlooked as a beautiful real piece of musical theater. Uh, something that was could be part of the canon, something right. that could be uh, not just part of the canon, but well respected. Well, it can stand on its own apart from the cartoon. It oh, can stand yeah. as as just a musical theater piece on its own. Yeah. Our executive producer and the head of Nickelodeon, 
it's so easy to think that they had created SpongeBob the Musical to be a cash grab, right? And people were honestly, they lumped us in with a lot of other shows throughout musical theater history that commercial properties have come in to become a cash grab. Mm -hmm. And they said, listen, SpongeBob is their highest grossing television show of all time. If it's about money, it's not gonna, if they wanna make more money, it's not gonna be through the musical theater to try to do that. They want to do it right or not at all, you right. know, and that is that is a kind of a great starting philosophy to create great art. You know what I mean? To to never really say, okay, we're gonna do this to appeal to the greatest amount of people and see how much money we can get from them. It's not about that. It's never been that. I have never sensed that. It has been told to me over and over again that that's not what it's about, and I believe it. I'm mm-hmm. sold. I know because there will be some things that I go, wow. That sounds really expensive and very little payoff except for artistically. They're not going to say yes to that, are they? And then they do. Hmm. Because it's the thing that is most artistically better for the show. You know, we could, you could have easily just kept the same thing that was up there that was lesser than because it would not less expensive and then you could recoup faster. But that wasn't, it's never been the intention of SpongeBob. Yeah. It's always been in the intention to create something that's kind of really good. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's great that they have that philosophy because, yeah, it, it would be too easy to, to go with a popular product and just make it another popular mm-hmm. product instead of an, an artistic endeavor. We've heard in, yeah. so, in so many creative rooms you've, you've sat through where you, th- you hear the conversation. You hear the conversation is like, well, what does the audience want? Or, you know, what is gonna, what is, what is gonna sell more tickets, right? Yeah. That question. Right. And that's not, it's not, uh, it's, thankfully that hasn't been the, the priority in, in this endeavor. It hasn't been, you know, and that's, and you know, it's something back, my, back to my father would say, it's like, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. You know, and I think exactly. that this whole thing has been do what you love and the money will follow. Yeah, and, people loving what they're doing. Yeah, and they're well, coming back and they're enjoying the show. And, yeah, you it, know, we're enjoy ha- and we enjoy having <laughs> them. At, having seen it, it is certainly a, a great musical to just be a part of. And, you know, as I said, I came to it with fresh eyes, not knowing. And, and I, I walked away laughing and en- enjoying myself. It, it, surprisingly, at some points where things unexpectedly happen, there, there's two specific moments that I won't give away, but there are two specific moments that caught me so off guard. I had, I, I, I was like falling over laughing. Nice. I loved it. So it was, it's a, it's, it's a great show and you do wonderfully as well. Thanks. So I'm, I, I appreciate you so much for coming and talking about it. You guys are going to be performing at the Tonys. So we'll be performing at the Tonys. Yep, so we'll get to see you and, uh, June 10th, you'll see the cast, yep. uh, you know, in, in, will be shimmering on the stage of Radio City. I, I have no doubt it will be the most colorful <laughs> and energetic number of the night. Well, thanks a lot for joining Thanks. Us. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been listening to Kelvin Moon Lowe, who plays Perch Perkins in the Broadway musical SpongeBob SquarePants. Why I'll Never Make It is a bi-weekly theater podcast hosted by Dewey Cadell and Patrick Oliver-Jones. These Tony Award bonus episodes are produced by Dylan Adams with intro music by Kevin McLeod and incidental music created by yours truly on GarageBand. Join me and Dewey next time when we take an inside look into Disney's Frozen, the musical, with Drama Desk Award nominee for leading actor Jelani Aladdin. You do not want to miss that. We'll see you then.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.